everyone. It is time to head north. I am your host, Natasha Ryan, VP of Communications for the North Group. Today, I have on with me our CEO, Steve Hernandez, and my friend, Lester, who I met at a conference and heard him speak about elections and everything he has to deal with. He is the CISO for Maricopa County in Arizona. Thank you both so much for being here today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I kind of want to dive right in, but first let's get a little bit of background. Lester, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself for me, please? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, Natasha, I'm the CISO for Maricopa County. Um, most, most everybody who's heard of Maricopa County, unfortunately, has to do with this or malinformation around elections. And so... I'm, we're going to uh, dig into that, but I've been in the public sector my entire professional career with minor exceptions. So I've been a public sector employee for roughly 27 years. And so I've been at Maricopa County for almost four years. Um, prior to that, I was uh, the CISO for uh, City of Mesa in Arizona, which is the third largest city in the state. And then uh, other stints, uh, starting off uh, my career at Arizona State University. Um, one of the more unusual things, although I would argue people in cybersecurity and IT in general don't always have a consistent path on how they progress in their career. So I actually started, uh, I had every intention of being uh, a band teacher. So my undergrads in music. And so this is a true story. Um, so I started doing my student teaching observation in the public schools. And I realized I really didn't care for kids. So I, I I had to find an alternative path. And so I tried computer science for a semester, failed all my courses. This is unfortunately way too true. And then I uh, graduated with my BA in music and then uh, tried again a second time. So I have a master's of science and technology. And so, and then, uh, and here I am now talking to you and Steve, so. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, Steve, you wanna give a little bit about your background? Well, everybody knows me, Natasha, um, but Lester, we've, we've never met and it's a pleasure. Um, started off in the U.S. Army and then uh, got into the contracting kind of security side of things and um, have been in the political, you know, intelligence space uh, since I left the military um, as a consultant, uh, worked with several different campaigns over the years and, and political figures. Um, my specialty is more on the intelligence kind of corporate espionage uh political intelligence political espionage side right um understand that there's a world of bad actors out there and and i study how they do what they do whether it's physical cyber or human social engineering perfect let's dive right in i am excited for this conversation so lester when you and i met we talked about ai and the influence it's going to have on the 2024 elections you know, a little bit, I, I'd like to dive back to 2022 and talk about some of the misinformation you saw then and how hard it was to get your hands around it um, as the, you know, chief information security officer. So if we could talk a little bit about some of the stuff you encountered, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, sure, Natasha. So in, in, in terms of Maricopa County, so just real briefly, and so I'll answer your question, but one of the things that we saw that was the biggest difference between the 2020 election and the 2022 election was in 2022, at least from our perspective, 
almost all the focus that we saw from a threat perspective was in relation to MISTIS and malinformation, as opposed to in 2020, we saw the gamut. So we saw DDoS attacks, we saw vendor supply chain, we saw active passive network uh, intrusion attempts, and everything you could expect from a cyber perspective, in addition to the MIS and dis and malinformation in 2020. But in 2022, we didn't really see any of those cyber attacks per se, not saying that they didn't occur, not saying there weren't passive attempts, but it was a lot more pronounced with respect to the misdisamount information. And so um, some of the challenges, frankly, along those lines, and this is part of the reason why I go to conferences and to see what's out there is there, in, from my perspective, Steve, if you have a different perspective, then we'll have to share notes, but Technology hasn't caught up with respect to being able to, at machine speeds, identify where there's potential either cyber and or kinetic risks that are born from various different media platforms. And so that's been our challenge. And so um, mystics and malinformation with current technologies kind of like, and I'm, I'm aging myself, but it's kind of like a, a version of a telephone on steroids, if you know what I mean. And so things just amplify and spread so quickly, it's honestly, it's impossible to keep up or get in front of it, right? Mm -hmm. The best you can do is try to respond in a timely fashion with what you believe is accurate, relevant information as opposed to, you know, mystic or malinformation. <laughs> so that that's really been uh, the focus that we've seen in the 2022 elections. and. Um, so I'll give you one example and, and then I'd love to hear what you have to say, Steve, but, um, one of the things that we saw, this made the news, uh, nationally, internationally. So we had folks that were going to stake out ballot box locations for people where they drop off their, uh, their ballots, uh, for mail-in voting. And so, um, we, we were able to, uh, identify on uh, publicly accessible social media forums where they were going to target in advance. And so they had shown up at these locations in full tactical um, armor and automatic weapons, if you will. And so, um, so obviously there was a heightened potential uh, kinetic or physical risk along those lines. And so we were able to get in front of that, fortunately, let law enforcement, let our state fusion center know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not necessarily to stop them, but just to make appropriate parties aware so things didn't escalate and somebody actually get hurt in the process. And so that's unfortunately the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. Not that we're unique, but that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with in Maricopa County. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I, I look at this and you know, bear with me on kind of a long-winded response to this because I, I think there's categories here, right? So for me, I, I've always prided myself as somebody that regardless of political affiliation, viewpoints, religion, I look at everybody is a threat until they're not. Um, you know, I don't you trust but verify, right? So I was speaking at a family office event last year and I had a, it was very ad hoc. A friend of mine asked me to show up and just talk for a minute. 
And one of the conversations that came up was, you know, what's the greatest threat to the private client corporate space? And I was a little unprepared for that, but ultimately what I said was disinformation is the greatest threat to humanity. Um, it will it will allow nuclear footballs to be opened and and put into play based on what gets leaked online, right? What gets said. If if an organization comes out and says we're going to attack Poland tomorrow, or a government comes out and says we're going to attack the U.S., it's inevitable. It's happening in 48 hours. That could be, you know, malinformation. It could be disinformation. It, it could be accurate. The moral is we don't have a way with deep fake information or, or um, aggressive false information to vet it real time. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, there is no AI platform to validate AI bots um, that that I know of that is that is being used industry wide. However, there are tools out there that do different things to detect adversarial intention. For me, though. It really comes down to, um, you know, counterintelligence capability, right? So I, I've seen a number of things play out in the geopolitical political space that's very interesting to me. Um, I, I've been at a county law enforcement level, so you know, I've been at a, I've, I've operated and worked at a state, you know, level, and and even you know, partially been involved in a counterterrorism level with the federal government. What I understand is that there are parallels of operating information that exist. Now, what adversaries do is they study those paralleled information segments, and then they create alternate information parallels, right, that, that are to somebody's end. So let's talk about, you know, election fraud, right? with with on a county level we dealt with it up here as well in michigan um kalkaska county right it was big big ordeal regardless of what the incident is it is the attachment of external or internal groups domestically or 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 foreign that build a narrative and then spread that narrative that then creates a larger narrative Right, which now puts people at voting polls with armor and 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 AR-15s and right, and I'm and, and listen, I I'm not gonna, you know, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment. At the end of the day, I believe that America is a 275 year old toddler with a rattler card called freedom, and when you go to threaten that, people prey on that with disinformation. They prey on something that that is a belief system here in America. So do I know if there was election fraud? Um, do I, have I seen evidence of that in front of me? No, I haven't. Have I, have I been involved in a case where I've seen, you know, a 302 written by the FBI that says this number of, you know, ballot stations was, was fraudulent. This many dead people voted. This many, you, I, I haven't seen that, but what I can say is, there are people that are spreading that as fact, which threatens society. Um, it threatens law enforcement at, a, at an unprecedented rate, right? Um, but it also threatens our, our, our institutions, our economic system. 
if tomorrow I build a bot campaign that says that there's going to be a run on every bank in America at at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, what do you think will happen? And and it doesn't even have to be real. But we're more connected than we've ever been. We we share and disseminate information unverified more than we ever have. And we process this information in probably one of the large largest mental health crises in in my generation, at least in America. So when you take those factors into account, at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Disinformation is, is leading markets to rise and fall. It's leading people to take to the streets. I mean, a month after we were told to stay home, all of a sudden it was okay to throw a mask on and go protest in 2020. And thousands gathered to do that, right? But that was okay. You just couldn't go to the grocery store and, and not be more than six feet from each other. I mean, it's 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 information on multiple levels. But see, our government, society, we immediately turn on Fox, CNN, MSNBC. And when we hear something, then it becomes fact, mm-hmm. right? Decisions get made socially, economically. People buy... I mean, the toilet paper phenomenon, right? It's a little funny, you know, <laughs> added here. It was because they were telling people that it was sold out. So then it got sold out. Right. So it, that's that's my viewpoint on it. The last thing I'll say is media and information sharing capabilities have great value to society. But if it's unverifiable information and we have more mentally unwell people in America today than we ever have taking that information. And if it's, and if, and if people say, Hey, rise up and show up at, you know, on Pennsylvania Avenue tomorrow, I mean, it didn't used to get disseminated the same way it does today. But it does. And Lester, you're, I mean, you are partially responsible for how the election process goes. I mean, what, how do you wrap your hands around this and get a hold of it? I mean, is it possible? Yeah, you know, so unfortunately, I think the short answer is it's, I think it's impossible to fully get your arms around that and for a couple of reasons. But Number one, and so Steve touched on this earlier in his comments, which is um, the the issue with social media or the potential harm with misdis and malinformation is it doesn't have to be accurate. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to have enough eyeballs on it so that there's doubt cast whether it's doubt in the economic system, doubt in in the free elections, doubt in our government. And so um, Pew Research has done a bunch of studies along these lines that have shown, you know, in the early 50s was, I'm trying to remember exactly, but somewhere in the ballpark of the 50s, three quarters of Americans either trusted or strongly trusted our federal government. And since 2007, I believe that number has not exceeded 30%. And so, A, there's 
pressing government, at, at least at the federal level, and I'm extrapolating that this applies to state and local, frankly, too, um, the trust is at an all-time low. <clears throat> and so these campaigns, whether intentional or, or unintentional, uh, they just have to cast enough doubt to sow that seed in, right? And then the other thing, too, is I think, and so I'm kind of aging myself again, but I really kind of miss the days where newspapers were the primary source of news because the interesting thing is social media was never designed from my perspective as an alternative to news, right? Because the model is completely different. You know, social media exists ultimately by these companies to make money. And so the model is such that the more eyes and the more clicks, the more money you're making, right? And so they don't have the same constraints. They don't have the same back end processes, nor am I saying that they should. I'm not saying that, you know, social media has said we're going to be an alternative to newspapers and they didn't follow through, right? They've never stated that. But, you know, 70, 60 to 70%, another research do, uh, study done shows that uh, 60 to 70% of Americans get their quote unquote news from social media. That's a problem because there's not the same framework. There's not the same checks and balances with regards to validating your sources, making legitimate attempts to ensure that the information that you're posting on that platform is actually correct and accurate. And so, um, so really, I think we unfortunately have that going against us. So from in our case, the best we can do is monitor maintain awareness of what's being said. So for example, from an operational perspective, we monitor social media, we use tools to uh, measure brand sentiment, right? That gives us an indication of what's being said about Maricopa County. We have a daily intelligence uh, you know, briefing that we share throughout the county that talks about what's trending in social media, where there might be potential risks, that sort of thing. We also look at all our other traditional tools, firewalls, endpoints, email, et cetera, et cetera, to try to paint a more comprehensive picture about where the cyber and kinetic risk is. And then the last thing I'll say along those lines is that over the last couple of years, you know, traditionally, physical security and cybersecurity have been very distinct entities or functions within any enterprise. Um, and at least for Maricopa County, that line is almost non-existent now. And so the things that we see, especially on our monitoring of various different media platforms, whether social media or mainstream quote unquote news, um, oftentimes is a better indicator of potential kinetic or physical risk as opposed to cyber risk. And so um, we're working hard towards melding that because at the end of the day, what we care the most about is risk, whether it's physical or cyber, right? And making sure that the appropriate you know, department within the organization and the county as a whole and our constituents, frankly, are safe. They should feel safe in being able to go vote, right? But at the same time, we don't want to come across nor censor anybody. You know, We obviously believe and uh, uh, defend the Constitution of the United States. So First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, et cetera, et cetera. People have the right to peacefully protest. But at the same time, if they're going to show up with automatic weapons, there is a heightened level of physical risk to whoever's in uh, the vicinity, right? So we can't ignore that at the same time. 
you know, I'll say something on this, right? Government used to be about the institutions. And it's become more about the candidates or the office holders. And the institutions used to be about the people. And now the candidates are about agendas. And so when you talk about distrust for government, right, um, there's people that need someone to tell them what to believe and, 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 and what and how they're going to live and what they're going to do. Right. Uh, go back to hunter gatherers. Right. Um, and we're, we're very reliant on government. Now, if you go most countries around the world, uh, like I was in Canada over the weekend, I mean, they have, they have a very unique way of life there um, compared to us, in my opinion. And, you know, people don't really get wrapped around the axle on, on certain disinformation. But you got to think about this because people will build narratives to, to an end state. There's always an end state for a narrative, especially a negative narrative or counter narrative, right? Somebody, somebody has an end state that they want to reach. They want to make people believe X, Y, or Z. Do you think that, in your opinion, is that special interests, is that PACs, is that adversarial foreign actors? Who's driving, in your experience, in your area, more of the negative sentiment that's being pushed or about, I mean, you had a sheriff down there for years that that was a hell of a sheriff. I mean, a hell of a law enforcement officer, right? And he he and but at what point did people stop believing in him? And what point did did the negative sentiment change? And what point did positive go to negative, right? Like in your opinion and your experience, because I think you're in a very for those that don't understand this, right, you're in a very unique part of the world, right? And I say the world, not just the U.S., but the world when it comes to, you know, cross-border relations, cartel violence, crime, right? And then polit political discourse, because, you know, the one thing I'll say for people that don't understand this is a sheriff is elected, a police chief is appointed. Yep. So. You know, um, and sheriff, you know, a sheriff is constitutionally bound. Um, it, it's it's one of the few kind of uh, known facts about a sheriff's a sheriff's office, right? That they are they are, they have the ability to kind of really fall back onto the constitution for their community and their people. Um, they aren't directed by somebody above them. Now, there's board of commissioners, and there's different things that can that can make things happen on a county level or a parish level. But in your experience, my question would be, who do you see as the bad actor? Who's, who's pulling the purse strings here? Who's, who's the puppet master? Yeah. So before I really dive into that response, a, a couple of things. So number one, as a local government agency, we don't do attribution. That's not our, that's not our place. Even if we had the intelligence, which more often than not we don't, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to do that. Now, with with that being said, I can share 
because it's publicly available going back to the 2020 election in conjunction with our three letter agencies that we coordinated with we have a high degree of confidence that there were nation state uh, groups that were working actively to try to influence the election on multiple fronts uh, leading up to and day of the actual election itself so again so we leave the attribution to the federal government along those lines because anybody who tries to do that you know that isn't i think is kind of talking in an inappropriate fashion but so we've seen so lester let me, let me clarify this because there a lot of our folks on here are, are going to be very interested in what you just said so you have seen evidence to support or enough information to support that there is cross-border or foreign foreign intelligence or foreign adversarial folks that have been directed on a county level in in what was going on politically in that county yeah and so specifically in talking with our uh, federal government partners we have heard from them and you know the federal government has publicly stated this as well is that nation states there have been and they continue to be a consistent uh, set of attacks from a nation state perspective we've seen specific and the federal government's been quoted in saying that they've actively try to influence or disrupt our elections right so um, so we just happen to be one example of many throughout the country where we have seen activities that are consistent along those lines that have been verified by our federal partners and so so we've seen that um but in terms of your original question on who's the greatest threat this is where intention comes into play or intent i should say so and the delineation between mis and disinformation, right? So um, misinformation, and I'll give you a good example of this. Um, shortly after the 2020 election cycle, there was this photo that was, that was picking up steam that was of our, um, equip our Dominion equipment that's in this literally in this kind of closet, but with clear walls and it shows our equipment that um, from Dominion that we use for tabulation purposes that's leased and it's air gap too, and we have we have a web camera uh, that streams so that way people can see and we're super transparent about who's going in and out of that space right. So there was this image that was trending on social media where there was a piece of paper on one of the glass walls and if you zoomed in close enough, it had you know username and password for the router. We were able to use third-party software to show that that image was doctored. Now, the, the initial account that we saw that posted on, reasonably confident in saying that that person probably wasn't the author of that image and legitimately felt like they were sharing pertinent and important information. So that's a great example of uh, misinformation, right? But so where the intent comes in with this or malinformation is people who are actively trying to weaponize that information for an overall nefarious goal or a longer term. And so obviously in those instances, we're way more concerned about that because that's more reflective of the intent. The adversary or the person is willing to go to greater lengths. They have an ulterior motive with regards to why they're spreading incorrect information in the first place. And so it's no different than, um, you know, 
who are you who are you more concerned about you know somebody with a crime of opportunity or somebody who's you know who's been planning for months in advance to try to you know steal something from you right and so so in your opinion why why are adversaries from a from from foreign nations focused on county level government election process or otherwise so I think this applies to whether we're talking about elections or we're talking about other bigger scale, more societal type of impacts. So like to just kind of mix it up a little bit. So when COVID was really uh, hitting hard across the world, we saw an exponential increase in the number of phishing and COVID related attacks against Maricopa County. Uh, we saw a lot of mis, dis, and malinformation with respect to uh, v- vaccines and things of that sort. So I think it's more, um, you know, I think adversaries, just like anybody else, it's human nature to go go take the path of least resistance, so to speak. You know, yeah. most people don't naturally want to take the most arduous or difficult uh, path to getting whatever it is they're trying to accomplish accomplished, right? And so I think we see something similar, whether we're talking about the elections in general or talking about bigger things like COVID. And so in my opinion, the adversaries, if their intention is to cast out in the, the institution, right? Um, I'd be hard pressed to find a better way of doing that than through, you know, mis, dis, and malinformation around elections or COVID for that matter. And so I think it's just, and I, my personal opinion, again, uh, I'm not the intelligence agency, nor do I purport to be, but I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we saw a different, you know, difference in TPPs and tactics, threats, and, and processes between the 2020 election cycle and the 2022 election cycle. So why spend all the money and have to hire folks who are experts in cybersecurity to do DDoS attacks, to do vendor supply chain attacks, you know, do network intrusion, et cetera, et cetera. If, if my end goal is just to create a disruption and cast out, then I'll take this approach that requires less technical acumen and expertise. And I'll just, I'll just hit social media hard and heavy. So I'm a big proponent of recognizing a couple things here with what you're saying one nothing is ever what it seems um especially from an adversarial threat standpoint uh all warfare is fought by proxy um meaning if state security organization wants to attack maricopa county maybe they do it under the guise of anonymous or they do it under the guise of some other group, maybe they do it under the guise of a cartel. Um, and I, I love, I love breadcrumbs, right? Because especially whether it's cyber, physical security, right? Um, wherever you see a breadcrumb now, I, I believe a lot of times it becomes. If and if you're not looking at it like this, I, I think it's wrong. But if you have all this evidence in front of you and it just supports this agency or organization did this there might be a problem um, because, you know, as you know, from a cyber standpoint, there there are ways for people to leave no footprint 
um, and digitally scrubbed their way out as they as they came in. Uh, I I think when we see purported evidence chains um, and an existing you know documented paths, I think we need to look hard at that because what's also being I, I believe enacted upon not only the U.S. election system but county, state, local, federal government and corporate is a mass collection effort to understand societal norms and, and changes by foreign governments. Um, you know, I, I call I call COVID a, a very large and horrific exp experiment, right? To see what people would do and, and whether it was, whether whatever you believe, whether it was, you know, it was um, done by this country or that country, it was on purpose or not, you better believe that organizations agencies were actively collecting on the second and third order effects of it once it happened right uh medical data right more healthcare data breaches since covid than there's ever been um it, it, it's interesting to me because how do you how do you address that and not scare the ever living crap out of everybody that goes to a hospital how do you address the financial institution, you know, breaches that are occurring, um, but not scare the crap out of people so they they don't they don't pull out their money? So I, I think that at the end of the day, what we I think what we have to do, you know, going back to AI, I think AI can become one of the parallels to understanding threats from a collection and communication of of veracity of, of expansiveness of what those threats are. I don't think AI is a decision maker. I don't think it's a decision maker for the next 30 years. I do believe AI though is a collection tool to get us to decision making quicker. Now, you know, kind of final thoughts on this, what would be your opinion on that? Because coming from the cybersecurity standpoint, understanding AI, and then seeing what you've dealt with on a threat matrix scale with dis and malinformation do you think ai can mitigate those risks in the future and do you think ai can help identify potential threats as a collection tool but not a decision maker yeah so i think the short answer at least in my opinion i think ai could help organizations regardless of what sector make better decisions along those lines but I think from a pure cyber perspective, my bigger concern around AI is AI exacerbates problems that have existed traditionally with all organizations, regardless of sector, which is, you know, just doing the basics well. So um, asset management, data management, things of that sort. My, one of my bigger concerns that I think everybody should have is AI is only as good as the data that you feed it, right? So, so the bigger question is what data is being fed to those AI models? As long as it's as long as it's public information, that's one thing. But as we all know, there's plenty of private confidential information that's leaked consistently and made publicly accessible. So are those sources of information being ingested into those AI models? And if so, who's using them, right? And so 
that's something that I'm actively working on with Maricopa County with regards to putting guardrails about the appropriate use of AI. I know there's government agencies out there. There's a couple of states that have just outright banned the use of AI. I personally think that that genie's out of the bottle and there's no putting it back in there. So I think real, I think more, a more realistic approach is, okay, let's, let's embrace the idea that AI is here to stay. It, if utilized properly with the appropriate security controls, it can help organizations make better decisions more quickly. But we also need to ensure that the data that's feeding these models, whether it's just scraping public information or people are feeding private information to these models are done in a way that controls the potential risk of that information or the output of that AI model from being used against organizations. And so, you know, one thing that I haven't been able to fully vet, but I will tell, I will say this, and I think this is an industry standard, the quality of phishing emails has improved significantly. It used to, to be AI. back in the day. Due to AI. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty oh. sure it is AI, right? Because natural language processing is happening where you English doesn't even have to be your native tongue anymore. And so it used to be back in the day where you would just look at an email and based off of the grammar, you're like, oh yeah, this is this is totally a phishing email. Yeah, that's not the I, case I, anymore. I, well, and phishing is digital social engineering, right? So, so mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know. Um, Accounts receivable, accounts payable, right? Uh, I, I I think those departments are getting, hey, can you change your routing and accounting numbers? So you know, things like that. Yep. I, I I think that less is more. If I go to get into a building or get into an ecosystem or an environment, I mean, I don't talk a lot, right? I right. say enough to 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 build a relationship and a connection with the subject that I'm trying to exploit. And yeah. I, I think AI is going to learn. AI is a trends tool, right? If, if, and this is like my AI is a child and it's, it's at, it's like two or three years old right now. Right. And, and we can give it a, a belief system to where, but if a bad guy or gal gets a hold of that child and gives it a different belief system, it's it's going to become adversarial, and and I think we're going to have multiple children born um, on both sides, right? And I I think that it's going to become a, a tendential good versus evil battle, um, where one one AI child is growing up into a teenager, catching another teenager doing something bad, and but we are not going to be quick enough from a mental human capacity standpoint as quantum comes online and all these other things to be able to process the amount of data that it's purporting is a reality when it's a distorted, you know, fictitious narrative that's being pushed. Um, I, I think that's the most dangerous side of it is, is taking communication chains, right. And, and being able to make them believable enough to where, now very big decisions are getting leveraged and, and switches are getting flipped, right? Before we can do something about it. So I will say, so I went to this uh, last year's DEF CON conference. And so I attended a session in the misinformation village. So it was broken up into villages for those who don't know. And so there was a group of uh, faculty in there with their own private AI 
uh, model and we got to use it. But the, the, the talk was centered around leveraging AI to create unique uh, mystics and malinformation campaigns. And so it was the craziest thing where in the span of 30 minutes, you know, it, it was obvious the, the better you could develop your question to the model, the better the output was. And so some of the, some of the examples that were being shared in that session were just really disturbing for lack of better description. It was both intellectually interesting from a technical perspective, but then really disturbing from a, from a practical perspective. And so I fully suspect we'll see AI leverage in that capacity as well. Pattern, so, pattern, patterns and trends. Um, I think some people are just abnormal with their ability to share on social media and, and have their accounts completely accessible from an open source standpoint, because um, we do a lot of open source intelligence. And, and you know, I, I've built many a target packets on people based off their social media profile. Sure. Um, I, I have found ways into businesses by just looking at, you know, county government, state government, um, being able to red team, right? Basically how they live their life. When you look at AI from a trends analysis tool, does that make you nervous to think that it starts to learn law enforcement response, planning, emergency management, um, and then can create adversarial routes to, to cause more chaos and destruction? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I think there is that practical application, I or practical, not application, but concern. But then also, conversely, data privacy issues, right? So like a big trend, I'm assuming is still occurring, but um, uh, open data portals, right? Lots of government agencies in particular were very big about that. Um, one organization that I'm aware of, I won't mention who it is, uh, took the step of sharing 911 call data, but they also, they obfuscated certain data elements. So like when it came to domestic violence calls, they didn't put the street address on there because they wanted to respect the individual's privacy, right? And so you don't want to know if your next door neighbor had to call the, you know, the police on a domestic violence call. So they rounded up to the hundred, to the hundred block, right? So they obfuscated that, that data. I'm concerned about those manual processes and the adoption of machine learning AI technology such that they can extrapolate where that call originated from, even though that the original source was obfuscated by the inclusion of alternate disparate data sources and infer that information, right? So whether it's purely safety, I mean, the impacts are far reaching, whether it's practical safety, life, you know, issues versus data privacy and or financial economical, you know, impacts, you know, pre-IPO, you know, we've seen time and time again where social media has had a negative impact on organizations that have had a material financial impact, right? And so Absolutely. I think AI could just, it runs the gamut across the board along those lines. So that's why having an understanding of at an organizational level, what data you have, what's sensitive, what's not. I don't think organizations do enough along those lines. And newer technology like artificial intelligence is only going to make that potential problem worse if we can't get arms or limbs. So, Well, 
listen, we're 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 headed towards the end of this. I want to say absolutely thank you, Lester, for your commitment to community and your and your county um, as a as a public servant. Right. Uh, you know. You're doing a lot to support, I'm sure, your 911 system, your communications, the security for the county. I mean, um, from a tactical standpoint, um, and and you deserve all the thanks because you guys are uh, you guys are a very very big county, and you got a lot of responsibility. So thank you for your service there and your commitment to your community. Um, and thanks for jumping on time to head north today. Yeah, Natasha. thank you so much for joining us. <clears throat> Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll pass that along to my team. They're the ones who really deserve it. So, but yeah, thank you. And yeah, thanks absolutely. all of you for watching and listening. If you want to see more podcast episodes like this one, you can head to our website, tngdefense.com, or check out the audio on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Again, Lester, thank you. Great to have you on. You're always welcome. Steve, thanks for jumping on and sharing your time as well. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.